Hey everyone, welcome back to the Wisdom Collective. I'm Adam Corral and I'm on this week with Joe Garza. Joe, how you doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Good, good. Well, um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself for a bit here. Um, you're obviously a writer and you're doing a number of things. We connected initially over Twitter, um, but uh, we have some shared interest about shared interest and or concern about some things going on in culture. Um, and we'll get more into that as we move along. But why don't you introduce yourself to people before we get into all the topics? Sure, sure. So I have a background in music. Um, I have a bachelor's in music from Santa Clara University with uh, an emphasis in guitar. Um, since then, I started doing a lot of a lot of write, writing and marketing. Um, so that's kind of like my more professional background. But right now I'm living in LA um, to pursue screenwriting and potentially other you know creative things. And I am the creator of a medium publication called The Reckless Muse. Um, we do some um, sort of arts and pop culture commentary and how-to articles and just kind of talking about what's going on in the culture right now. And it kind of has, um, it, there's something a little rebellious about it. You know, there's a little contrarian uh, aspect to it. Um, and there's also something that's just deeply romantic and passionate about it. That's just like, look, forget about politics and ideology, just create, just go out there and break something and make something cool. So, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of one of the biggest projects I'm working on right now. Yeah, and that is, and I, I mentioned earlier, uh, we connected over Twitter, and that's it's true, but honestly, um, idea-wise and all the rest, we connected um, over things you were writing on your in, through your Medium um, mm -hmm. group and all the rest of what you're doing there. Um, yeah, and for those of you who don't know who are listening and or watching, Medium is uh, it's a really fascinating idea. I mean, initially, everything you could read on Medium was free for a mm -hmm. long time, right? Yeah. And then it became like a pay-to-play platform, which actually, in my opinion, heightened the quality of content in a really special way. Um, so if you want to go read articles on Medium, you can. You can read like five a month or something like that. And then right. now, I think you pay, I believe it's $50 a year. I, I do it. Um, yeah. $50 a year and you can yeah, um, catch articles from you and others, which is awesome. Yeah. And so yeah. I had come across some of that and what was so cool, Joe, is you said there's a rebellious edge to some of what you're writing and it's, it's engaging the culture in a creative and an interesting way. Um, but when I was like, I got to talk to this guy because we were mm -hmm. following each other on Twitter, but you were putting out these articles and then some people that you probably, not probably, that you have some ideological differences with. Yeah. Like, hey, can we publish your piece on our platform and our page? And it's like, Sure, you know, it's like crazy. So tell us a little bit about that. What was going on there? Sure. So I wrote an article um, about, uh, it was the King County um, Library System, which is in uh, Washington State, I believe. And like a lot of, um, like a lot of public places now, we're seeing a lot of the sort of critical race theory and anti-racism and anti-bias training. And there was an image that was going around. And I thought that this image might have been faked because it's really easy to kind of fake a lot of really over the top woke stuff. And it's, it gets hard to, to, to separate the, uh, the parody from, from what's really happening. And the image was, it was, it was like two, two different doors at this library. And the first, um, there's a sign on each door. And the, the first sign said, people of color. And then the other one said, uh, white people, I think. And it was revealed that it was um, some kind of training or, or, or listening session. And basically they were segregating um, staff, you know, some people of color in one room and then whites in the other room yeah and again like that could have been very easily faked um but uh it turns out it was not fake and they put out um a statement kind of explaining what was going on and they didn't deny it it was basically like look you know these trainings you know this listening session it wasn't mandatory 
and it's like, oh, but come on, like you're still separating, <laughs> like. And what would happen if someone contradicted the signage? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and also, like, what about people who are biracial or multiracial? Um, so, I, you know, I I understand to an extent the, um, you know, why if, if you do want to investigate race and racism at an organization, that you want to get um, your staff's opinions on it. But it just seems like segregating them, putting them in separate rooms seems like a dumb way to do it. If you do want to get honest answers, why not just submit surveys and so that they can do it privately and anonymously if, you know, if they want. Um, and you can probably get better answers that way. But instead, it's like, let's group everybody physically um, in our space here. Um, so anyway, so I wrote an article just criticizing like, you know, this, this sort of woke thing of like, you know, cause so much of wokeness is about fighting bigotry and, and discrimination. And here we are, uh, here's a woke organization that's segregating people. And it seems like that was what we've been fighting against in the civil rights movement. Um, so, so anyway, I wrote an article about it and there was a publication on Medium that was, that's pretty, you know, socially justice oriented. They reached out to me said, uh, hey, I really liked your article. Uh, are you cool with us featuring in our publication? And I just said, uh, yeah, sure. I think it's criticizing a lot of stuff that you guys agree with. But um, if anything, I think it's actually really cool because first of all, you know, it's getting the exposure to uh, a larger audience. They're, they're, they're a bigger publication. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, um, you know, it's also exposing uh, an opinion to an audience that probably doesn't get this type of opinion. Um, right. Right, exactly. So um, I'm not sure what the motivation is behind it. I just said yes. And, you know, the, the, that, that brief uh, interaction with them was very positive. So I didn't really look too much into it. But I don't know if they, if they either like fully read the article and they thought, well, you know, this is kind of, this goes against what we talk about, but let's, let's do it anyway. Let's kind of have diversity of opinion. Or if they just didn't fully read the article, maybe right. because the article did say um, racial segregation is good, but only if it's woke. So maybe they thought, oh yeah, racial segregation is bad. Yeah, that's what the article is all about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. it is, but it's, I'm saying it's bad I'm saying it's also bad when it's coming from your side. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, for the first few weeks, um, I got mostly positive uh, feedback. People, you know, you can leave comments on the articles and it got a lot of traction. Um, but I'm not sure what happened because in the last week I've been getting a lot more negative <laughs> comments <laughs> so far. So I don't know if they just featured it in a newsletter recently. Yeah. Um, you got but, uh, the wrong algorithm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it, medium is kind of weird. Sometimes uh, an article that I wrote a month ago, all of, all of a sudden gets a ton of traffic because some kind of weird algorithm thing. So um, yeah, I mostly just, I'm getting to the to point now where I'm just ignoring negative comments where it's like, okay, like if you want to have constructive criticism with, uh, and, and, and actually say, hey, you make a good point here, but you kind of lose your footing over here. I, I like that kind of feedback. But right now it's just kind of like, um, excuse me, you don't know what you're talking about. It's like, all right, you know, I can't have a conversation with you. Yeah, and we should, um, we should say that's a good clarification. Like, it's worth it. like constructive criticism and even negative criticism. Like, when done yeah. thoughtfully, should be uh, thoughtfully responded to. But when criticism is not thoughtfully given, it should be given the same level of thought for response, which is basically what you're saying. Like, anyone could say, uh, "You suck," and or uh, "I don't think you understand." Like grow up or what's like some popular phrases right now like um, do better do better that's one for sure like read a book like that's yeah one. educate yourself yeah, yeah yeah so it's like those that level of thoughtfulness to and like when someone says that it's like you don't actually want me to like get educated or read a book you you right. want me to indoctrinate you know um and to repeat after you so to speak or whatever it is and it's like exactly that's 
when that level of thoughtfulness is given out, like, I think you're appropriate to ignore that kind of stuff. Cause that's, that's the level of thoughtfulness they're asking for in my opinion, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, it just invites snark and, mm -hmm. you know, um, <clears throat> actionary stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, to be honest, you know, sometimes I do give into that and, and, but uh, uh, I'm trying to get to a point now where I'm like, yeah, if, if, if people are just going to come at you, um, just criticize you for, for silly reasons, then just don't even bother engaging with them. Um, but, you know, I do want to build bridges with people who I disagree with, you know, uh, in, in the woke, in, in sort of like woke circles. Um, because I think, I do think that there is, um, I think that there's a lot of compassion for people that they perceive to be marginalized or oppressed. Um, I disagree with a lot of their tactics in doing so, but, you know, I'm an old school liberal. So like, yeah, I care about making things fair and equal and, 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 and making sure that uh, we're doing away with discriminatory practices and all that. Um, so I do want to have constructive conversations with people I disagree with. Um, and in particular in the arts, which is you know, something I'm, I'm deeply passionate about. Yeah, no, there's two things there, Joe. Let's, let's run with these. Okay, so yeah. uh, the first thing, something we actually talked about before we um, got on the call today even was, hey, let's, let's try and do some distinguishing here between uh, good faith people that maybe are believing ideas that we would think aren't great. Yeah. Um, which is, I think this could be wrong, but I mean, maybe it's like a 50 50, but it's close to a majority of people that I interact with that are like flirting with or interested in these ideas um, that I interact with personally, not on Twitter, right. mind you, right. that I interact right. with personally um, that are interacting with critical race theory ideas. Um, yeah are doing it from a posture of pretty good faith, you know? And so I don't want to build some scarecrow argument of like a, a, a bad Twitter argument or like those types of comments and reviews you're getting on your medium articles and then dunk on that and just say, I'll oh, look at these dummies, you know, because right, that's, right. that's just, it's, it's, it might be a highbrow form, but it's, it's just dehumanizing in another direction, you know? And yeah. so, um, yeah, I, I would rather try to, like you're saying, build these bridges between people of good faith that may be misguided, but are, are really trying to figure out complicated problems and real problems, right? Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to get into all of that. We'll get into that um, probably with a little bit um, after this first question that I want to ask though, sure, is sure. how is this stuff that we're talking about, this critical race theory and just kind of uh, the woke, it is a popular culture phenomenon thing that's happening right now. There's a pejorative yeah. nature to woke, but there's also a, for a very long time, it was kind of a badge of honor for a long time. Right. right. Um, how is that affecting the world that you live and work in? You're, you're operating out of California, but you're obviously, you're working in writing and arts, like you said, this place that you're passionate about. How is it affecting it for you personally, but also maybe as an in, at an industry level too? Um, it doesn't seem to be impacting me personally too much at the moment, but um, part of the reason why I, I am fighting a lot of what I think are bad ideas is because as I, as I start to get more into the industry, I don't have to be, I don't have to put up with this sort of thing. You know, for example, you know, I want to get into to filmmaking and um, I just want to be able to write stories that resonate with me and that I think um, have, uh, uh, can have a large audience. And I don't want to have to deal with this thing of like, hey, can you make the lead character trans just because? And it's like, I'm fine making the lead character trans if I think it works or if, if it just feels right. But I'm not going to do it just because you are trying to prevent the woke mob, you know, like the sort of like the uh, Twitter mobs from coming after you. 
Um, so I am trying to like kind of fight this stuff to, to, to make it easier for me for when I do get into the industry, if I, if I ever do. Um, but in terms of, of the industry at large, um, and, 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 when I, and just keep in mind here, when I say the arts, I'm, I'm, I'm talking generally, I'm talking, you know, film, music, television, um, uh, literature, just in, even comedy. Um, what I'm hearing right now is a lot of young people, a lot of aspiring artists who are very afraid to share their work. Um, for example, there's an author, um, I'll keep him anonymous for now, but there's an, uh, there's an author I've been talking to for a bit on Twitter, and he's also a college professor. And so, you know, he, he deals a lot with young people, you know, in their late teens and early 20s who are frustrated with a lot of this woke stuff. Um, but they're nervous. They're like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm white, but the lead character of my novel is black. People are going to accuse me of saying that this is my story to tell because I portrayed the black character incorrectly. Um, I've heard of a lot of young comedians who are afraid to push boundaries. And that's crazy because I've always thought of comedians as being sort of professional anarchists. Like get up on their stage. Job. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And, and when even comedians are saying, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to play it safe and just kind of, you know, punch up sort of thing it's like hey but you should be able to you know you're i, I have this quote which is like uh, no one should be spared from the wrath of a good joke you know it's it's it should be if it's funny then and also like the fact that everybody is a potential victim of a good joke like that's right. great like it's an equal opportunity offender um but now that um we're closing off the types of con uh, the, the types of um targets um that can be made fun of um, in comedy, it's just like now the things that you can make fun of or satirize is just shrinking now. And it's like, my worry is that um, we're looking forward to a very bland and, and risk-free um, arts artistic future for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and something we talk about um, around this topic of just wisdom in general, um, which is something we're trying to curate and um, facilitate and amplify with all of these conversations we're having is something like we need a renewal of something that we might just call discernment, you know? Um, and there's, there's nothing, uh, should, I'm going to, I'm literally going to perpetuate what I'm going to try and talk against. I shouldn't say there's <laughs> nothing, but there is a serious deficit in, um, discernment in that, um, the volume at which people react to things that they agree with or disagree with is like all on or all off. You know, it's like, it, it's, it's, it's rage or praise. It's, there's no like, like even back to the example of the comments in your medium article, you can say like, in, in all honesty, like, yeah, I'll give a good response to a, a heartful critique, you know, a thoughtful mm -hmm. critique, but uh, I haven't read all of your comments, but I would imagine those are fewer and far between than you like, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Just like in the world that we live in right now, it's, um, and it's not all Twitter, but there is an, a general incentive, um, Social media doesn't help it, I don't think, but there's a general incentive to be outraged. Like we're literally commodifying it. We're incentivizing, it's becoming a social currency is what it is, right? Right. And um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a, there's no good way to be human when we're doing that, you know? And, uh, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think just the way we, we appraise art um, has become very simplified um, in, in recent years. Like there's, there's, I think I think so much of the of of the greatest works of art, so many of them um, explore gray areas. I think a lot of them have a lot of ambiguity, but um, I'm seeing more and more critics and people on Twitter, you know, go for like these very simplistic black and white absolutist interpretations of of movies, TV shows, novels, etc. Um, 
where it's like you can have a perfectly good TV show, but you know, there's a, there's a, an episode where a character makes a joke about trans people, and all of a sudden that invalidates the entire show. Like that's it. Like the show is transphobic, and 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 I see this a lot, especially with regards to comedy, um, because I think a lot of the greatest jokes are ones where. Um, are, are jokes that are layered. You know, on the surface, it seems to be making fun about, uh, it seems to be making fun of this topic, but below, it's actually really making fun of this completely other topic. Yeah. And, but right now, a lot of critics are just, they're focusing on just on the surface thing. So to give you an example, um, there's a comedian, I can't remember his name, but he was on Joe Rogan's show a while back, and he was talking about how he was doing a show at a college. And he made a joke um, th th that dealt with, with being black and, and, and homosexual that, you know, on the surface, maybe it seemed a little edgy, but it was actually a very progressive joke. So the joke was something like, um, why, would, why would you want to be black and, uh, it was something like, now I know that, that being gay is not a choice because who would want to be black and gay? And at first people were like, oh, like, why would you say that? And he goes, no, like I'm saying being black is difficult in America and it's also, being, it's also difficult being gay. So why would you want to be both? So it's like, it's actually kind of a bleeding heart progressive attitude. And but it's layered just, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But people were offended because, you know, he was someone who was not black, who was not homosexual and was making a joke about blacks and homosexuals. Um, it's just this weird thing where um, if, if you even touch a topic that's fraught with, with, with sort of intellectual minds, um, you're, you're automatically at risk of, of being labeled, you know, problematic. Um, even if the thing that you're... It, especially with comedy, you're just like the, the subject of the joke isn't always the target. Yeah. Just because I'm making a joke about gays, that doesn't mean I'm making a joke at gays. So it could be about the culture at large or like the culture against, like you were just saying. It, it can, right. Yeah, it can have layers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's crazy. And uh, in, so, in so much of our... This, oh, yeah. like, this totally gets it. You were mentioning earlier, like, a desire to not just protect the arts, but preserve the arts and all the rest. Mm -hmm. Like, because right. there's an inversion to this too. On the one hand, like you're saying, like people start self-censoring. There's like the, the fear of negative reviews. And it's not yeah. just like, uh, sometimes it's like cowardice of people to uh, get quiet about this stuff. But sometimes, I mean, you're talking about literally your livelihood. Like there's, it's a, yeah. it's a huge risk for people. So anyway, that's a thing. Um, but then the inverse is true too, where this is what you're getting at before, where people will um or let's say you like you want to write a film and, and someone says oh you have to have this x person this trans person whatever it is it's a lead role or like some sort of supporting role because that checks the box and all of a sudden you start curating a film around an ideology and you lose the art mm -hmm. and uh it's it it really does devalue the art you know <laughs> because you're no longer writing a piece of art you're writing an ideological piece mostly you know what i mean yeah yeah exactly no um i mean even before a, a lot of these ideas started to take over the arts um so much of the art and pop culture that we consume already is um made by committee it's you know it's you know, just because you have a novel that's that's that big, that's a big hit you know and, and that was written by one person it went through several editors and and things like that and especially now we're seeing sensitivity uh, editors or sensitivity readers saying, "Hey, you didn't portray this female character correctly, or whatever." Um, and 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 I'm seeing this a lot in 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 the film industry, where there are now starting to be more. Um, there's more of a push for diversity quotas, mm -hmm. um, and this is in this is in Hollywood. So it's already an industry where most of the movies are are in addition to the writer and director. You know, it's they have a lot of input from. Uh, producers and executives and, and, and financiers saying, oh, it has to be this rating, it can't be this long, but it has to be whatever. 
And now on top of all of these crazy demands and this, and you know, these, the, the industry has been like this for decades, right. um, just with all the studio interference. Now on top of all that, now we have, how many Asian characters do you have? How many gay characters? How many female characters? Um, and it's, it's diluting the art. Uh, this great quote to one of his pupils, which was, um, um, what I have in my heart must come out. And so I write it down. And like, that's just, it, to me, that, that encapsulates so much of the greatest art, which is like, mm -hmm. it's this deeply personal thing that has to come out of me. And it's something that I can't articulate unless I reach to uh, a microphone or a pen or a typewriter or mm -hmm. a camera. And that's the best way to get this idea out of me. And, you know, and, and, and I'm not knocking, you know, um, you know, sort of pop art where it's just kind of like, it's just fun entertainment. I'm not knocking it. There's, you know, there's certainly plenty of value in that, but, um, but I mean, you know, just like there, no good dish uh, can be made when you have twelve hundred cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a great and, and, visual. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I mean, and you know, just to give you a more specific example um, of, of this sort of thing, um, there's that film uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I don't know if you heard about this controversy that happened recently. Yeah. Sure. Um, about it. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was based on a book, and then it got turned into a movie, and it's become kind of a cult, uh, uh, a musical film. And then since then, it's been it's been featured in a lot of uh, uh, like you know theater productions. And they were going to be doing a production of it at a Sydney uh, festival uh, in January of, of this coming year. And uh, I guess a cis male was cast in the lead role. And for those who don't know, um, uh, the character, uh, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I believe the character was a male, that the fictional character was a male and through a botched sex reassignment surgery, um, like their, 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 their uh, sex is kind of uh, up in the air, I guess. And, but there's a lot of drag and, and but, but since then it's, it's become kind of an icon in, in, in sort of LGBTQ um, pop culture circles. Um, but anyway, there's a petition that was started that said, we don't like the idea of a cis male playing this lead role when it should go to a trans actor. Um, and John Cameron Mitchell, who co-created, uh, who co-wrote the book and, and wrote and directed the film, as well as played uh, the character in the film, um, he, you know, he, there was a statement from him in, in 2018 where he said, you know, I love the idea that, you know, I played it as a male, but since then, you know, I've seen males do it. I've seen females do it. I've seen trans actors do it. I love the idea that people can just take this role and, you know, it's not so much about the physical characteristics, it's, it's more about what they bring to it and just making sure that, you know, that the ideas that the character represents remain intact. It's almost and like it's me, called acting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it doesn't matter, you know, whether your, your, your physical characteristics, it's, you know, how, you know, can you be true to the character? Yeah. Um, so, so this is from the, the original artist. And if anything, I think Hedwig is kind of a, a good testament of, of just how profound characters can be, where it's like, it doesn't matter what your gender, your sexuality is. This character can resonate with you in many ways. Um, and he said the main theme, the main theme of the character was about drag and not about genitals, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so there was this petition that was signed, uh, that was started, and I guess 1,700 people signed it. Um, and so they had to postpone uh, the production of of uh, uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch at this festival. And like, that's, that's crazy that, that, I mean, first of all, it's disappointing that they had to postpone in the first place yeah. um, because I mean, that's just, they're bowing down to the mob. But I think it's, it's shocking now that we're seeing a lot more um, of, there's this trend of audiences kind of contaminating um, art. Like I want to, I want to see the the, 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 the true representation of what's inside of a singular artist's mind. I want to see that on stage or on the screen or in the book. 
Um, and if it's terrible, then I'll just be like, yeah, I don't like it. I'm not going to engage with this artist again. That's, that's you know, my choice. Um, but at least I can say, you know, I have respect for this artist because they stuck to their, their original vision. Even if it offended me or bothered me or I thought it was just bad art, they didn't, they, they didn't let any outside influence uh, contaminate it. Um, but now, like, we're just, it, it's, it's weird that we're seeing, um, you know, just so many people now have this much power over the type of art and, and pop culture that we engage with now. Right. And art in so many ways, um, this isn't, it's an, it's not an idea he came up with, but I heard Jordan Peterson once share about mm-hmm. art in a very succinct way. He said, art is a window into the transcendent. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's, 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 and artists do this, they sort of, they, there's guardrails to like, you know, I don't want to say civil society, but there's guardrails to like proper society. Let's say an artist from from illustrators and painters to music to to acting and theater and all the things you're talking about. The the tendency is to um, get outside those guardrails and show people what's outside a little bit, you know, and it's all the rest. It doesn't, they don't have to, like you said, there could be something that's more like relevant or popular culture, and it's like mm-hmm. here today, gone tomorrow. It's not a classic, but it's fun. Like there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Yeah, of course. Um, but if you're into that sort of deep art and that lasting art, um, you have to allow people to test those gray areas and places and spaces. And uh, once we start curating art um, from to saying like, artists do this, dance this way, do this thing, whatever it is, it is, it's a representation. It's not a representation of the person anymore, like their creation. There's nothing creative about it. It's right. uh, it's imitation. Um, yeah, rather than creation, or whatever. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, and it's just it—it it does. It completely alters what art is, and it in that respect, it starts completely altering what beauty is, and all of these things. And you see that, right? Um, yeah. Where, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, I I completely agree, and I think that um, most of the great works of art and pop culture that we study and revere and enjoy today, they were controversial in their own time. Yes. Um, that, that and and it's crazy that um, we look back at at people who tried to silence that work and we, we laugh at how uptight and prudish they were and go yeah this thing's pretty harmless like it didn't like people were shocked people at the time they thought that this was going to encourage people to be violent or something and it's just and it didn't it didn't it didn't cause any of that um, but uh, um, I think that's that, that's one of the, the the great frustrations that I have with with a lot of um, aspects of woke culture like there's this this resistance to learn from even just the recent past just from a few decades ago um you know i I, it it was just in my own lifetime um that the simpsons were were being condemned by george hw bush it's like that's crazy when you have the president saying this tv show is bad for america and you know the tv show didn't inspire copycat crimes or anything like that um and nowadays like we look back on that and we roll our eyes and go that's so silly it's stupid um, but now, like, we're repeating a lot of the same behaviors. Like, hey, this thing is offensive, and uh, it's bad for society. And it's like, have we not learned from centuries of persecution of artists that art almost never provokes violence? It almost never causes social problems, um, be- mostly because most people um, can differentiate between fiction and reality. Most, you know, if, if we watch um, a violent movie, that doesn't mean we're going to go out and start committing violence. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of this, this other comedian. He was debating a feminist uh, on some online show. And he brought up a really good point about comedy, which is, um, you know, it, the thing about comedy is that most people know that it's a joke, that, that, that a comedian can say horrible and dark things on stage, but they know that he's, he doesn't mean it. So, you know, uh, a comedian can, can get up on stage and make jokes about 9-11. 
but people aren't going to leave the theater going, you know, 9-11 actually wasn't that big of a tragedy. Like, that's not going to change people's minds. That's not enough to do it. No. And if it does change your mind, then that's a you problem. You've got some other problems. <laughs> it wasn't Great a point. joke that yeah. did it. Um, yeah. And you know, if you've seen this with video games, there's that whole thing about um, uh, uh, violent video games. And, and so far, there's been no research that showed that violent video games uh, encourage young boys to commit violence. Like, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a... And, and, uh, the sort of soft comparison you're drawing, we could clear it up a little bit in that mm. so much of this is, it's moral panic based. Um, yeah. And there's been many moral panics. There was like, uh, you know, a more relevant or a pretty relevant one was something like the satanic panic and stuff of like the yeah. 90s and all the rest. There's been a number of moral panics that have happened that we can look back at and have some some humor about and also some sadness about and all the rest. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we are we're in a weird spot where I was mentioning earlier, we're sort of incentivizing moral panics um, at multiple levels, at interpersonal levels, through social media, through a number of channels, we're incentivizing people to be morally panicked. Right. And what it's doing is it's, it's gaming our brains. I mean, we're doing, we're right. I can't remember who said it exactly. Who was the first person to say this, but we're, we're in a race to the bottom of the brainstem basically. Cause what we're doing is we're incentivizing um, fight or flight thinking and, and that in kind of reactionary stuff, not higher brain, like discernment, thinking through things, being nuanced, allowing for like a conflicting idea, these type of things. Right. We're de-incentivizing that to, uh, we want, we want things to be more tribal, you know, and that, yeah. that works against so much of what you're talking about before with like a, a proper vision of civil rights was de-tribalizing in the U S was, it was moving. It was de-tribalizing, uh, really terrible and disgusting race relations yeah um detribalizing it through a common humanity ethic which is fascinating yeah and and now we're getting into this space where and it is affecting the arts it's affecting more than just the arts it's affecting boardrooms too and, and yeah. offices and whatever we're tribalizing and we're getting away from a common humanity and it's like man this is uh well, yeah it's it's what you're up to is worth fighting all over the place i'm glad you're doing it where you're doing it and we should Thank you. Thank you. dive into a little bit um, of just, I think a lot of people listening to the show, I know a lot of people listening to the show will already have a, a good understanding of what we mean when we say like woke culture and these different things. But I, like we mentioned before, it'd be good to distinguish like the good faith people that are up to this and then also the bad faith actors and make some distinctions there. So we're not lumping everyone in together right, or right. just dunking on bad arguments. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if it is worth saying before we do that, Joe, but you are working against yourself and that you could be gaming this system. You are a male, but you're of Latinx descent, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, so correct. you are, you could be climbing the, uh, the intersectional hierarchy, um, but mm -hmm. you're not. Why, why, why aren't you doing that, man? <laughs> why aren't you taking advantage of the system? <laughs> um, I think it was, uh, I was lucky enough to have very good parents. Um, you know, uh, my, my parents, they, you know, they, they, uh, uh, they got picked on a lot and in okay. school and, and they experienced a lot more racism and prejudice than, than I ever had in, in my, my, my life. And I, I look more Caucasian than I do Mexican. So, so, you know, there's obviously I'm not gonna get picked on as much for that. Um, but there was this thing where like, when I was growing up, whenever I complained to my parents about anything in life, they always just said, well, work harder. You know, it's, you know, yeah, you're going to, you're going to get picked on. You're, yeah, you're going to encounter people who make fun of you because of the way you look or the way you talk or where you come from or your last name or whatever. Um, but just work harder than them, be better than them. So I think I've tried, I've 
carried a lot of that with me, which is like, yeah, like I don't, you know, like I'm, I'm proud of my, my Mexican heritage, but at the same time, it's like, that's not the thing that defines me. Um, you know, I'm, I, um, I hope that my actions are the things that define me. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and, and because like, you know, I'm such a firm believer in, in, in at least some kind of meritocracy, I want my work to be what, what speaks for me, especially in my career. Like it's one thing if I were to get involved in, um, in activism, um, you know, I might use some more of my, 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 my Mexican background um, as, as part of that, but it's like, no, look, this is just about art. It's about ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter what country you're from or how old you are or what your sex or gender is or what your sexuality is. It's, it's do you have a great vision? Do you have the grit and the moxie to carry it out? Do you have the skill to turn it into something unique and interesting? Um, and that's what I try to embody with my own work, my own creative endeavors. Um, mm-hmm. So I try to keep my own my own um, you know, ethnic background out of it as much as I can. Yeah, what a good upbringing. And, and for <laughs> anyone listening, I... Uh... Kidding aside, I said Latinx, but uh, ask any of your Hispanic or Latino friends, and they will probably tell you that's a—it's not a term they're comfortable with or excited about. So uh, yeah, that oh, yeah. was a joke for anyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to disrespect you either with that, but uh, yeah. Course, anyway, yeah. Um, the um, that said, um, let's let's do some distinguishing here. So that um, you're coming from a good posture and place, you had some good upbringing about this. Um, so we don't we don't want to just dunk on the worst versions of arguments. That's not hard. Anyone can right. do that. So yeah. um, let's make some distinguishing uh, definitions here or ideas. Um, sure, in your sure. opinion, well, in your opinion, let's do this first. In the people you interact with in a day-to-day way, like I was talking about earlier, not just on Twitter. Yeah. Um, you, you're in California, I'm in Oregon. We're obviously gonna interact with people that are interested in or fully on board with some of these woke ideas. Right. Um, in your opinion though, where are they coming from? What are they thinking? What's leading in there? What's going on? Um, I think a lot of it does come from a good place. Um, you, know, you know, just being you know, on the West Coast where, where there's, which tends to be more liberal. Um, so I, I think that there's, that kind of attitude is just more pervasive here. And that's not a bad thing because I do think that we, we um, you know, society needs a balance of conservative and, and liberal ideas. So it's not like I'm not saying, you know, liberalism's dumb or anything like that. You know, I, like I said, I consider myself an old school liberal. Um, uh, and I think that there are a lot of people here who have experienced um, some discrimination based on immutable characteristics that they have. Um, so I don't blame people for saying, hey, you know, uh, your company is mostly white people. I'm the only black person here. Like what's going on? Mm-hmm. Or, hey, how come your company doesn't have as many women here? I thought we were a little more enlightened in that, in that regard. Um, so I do think that a lot of it comes from a good place. And, and to kind of bring it back to the arts, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, calls for more diversity and inclusion in various arts organizations and, and, and major studios. And um, I do have a lot of concerns about the terms diversity and inclusion. Like they are kind of um, just sort of uh, vague buzzwords that just get tossed around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but I do think that there is a lot of value in some kind of diversity and inclusion. Um, so I would want to work with, with people who, who are big proponents of it and be like, hey, look, can, can we come up with a definition for these terms? Like a, a clear, um, consistent yes. definition, because um, it makes it easier to debate, you know, when it's necessary, when it's not necessary. Um, and, and if we can at least get all on board with that, we can have a more productive conversation about it. And so to give you a more specific example, um, you know, in the film industry, there are a lot of calls for, for diversity and inclusion. And I think um, that uh, uh, proponents of these, of these initiatives, they, they at least make uh, part of a good argument, which is that historically in the film industry, as well as many other industries, 
women, people of color, LGBTQ folks, et cetera, have been largely left out. You know, you didn't see very many, you know, uh, black film directors or female right. film directors. Um, so there, there's definitely this thing like, hey, look, this has to change. We, we can't, we have to do away with discriminatory policies. So I'm totally on board with that. Mm. Um, I just want to make sure that, um, that uh, it doesn't go so far that it starts saying, that it gets to the point where it's like, um, if you're a straight white man, you've had, your you've had your turn, so you need to sit down and let people of color go. You need to let women talk now. Um, I'm in favor of diversity by addition. I'm against diversity by subtraction. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so I, I do think that that um, those of us who have some critical, uh, who, who are critical of these things, um, should be at least willing to say, like, yeah, at the very least, a lot of these initiatives are trying to address problems that have been here for decades or longer, um, and we should at least you, you know try to share their their same goals, even if we disagree with the tactics. That's fine. I think just we just need better um, first principles conversations around around um, representation in the arts. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it too, first principles. And uh, yeah, there's, um, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Because at the end of the day, we do ha tend to have, with most people you interact with, again, off Twitter, offline especially, but even there, you tend to have more agreement than you do disagreement. So right. it's just sorting out, um, like you said, you might have a similar goal, but then tactics are different. So then why is that, or what's going on here, whatever. I've shared this like too many times in interviews that people are probably annoyed, but it's so, it's such a lovely story. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, after Malcolm X had passed, he wrote a letter to Martin Luther or to Malcolm's wife, a widow now. Right. And mm -hmm. he knew he had to have known that the letter was going to be public in some respect because he couldn't write anything that wasn't, you know, potentially going to be public, especially of this nature. Right. So he was very clear in what he was saying and meant. And it's, it's a sweet thing because you see his genuine care and concern for her just as a person. And you also see him um, praising Malcolm for identifying the same problem as him. Racism is a problem, especially segregational forms of racism, which yep. again, we shouldn't re-manifest or bring that phoenix from the dead. Uh, right. But uh, there's, he says, we had our finger on the same problem, we just disagreed on the solutions. Hmm. And so in his opinion, obviously he was um, doing this common humanity, enemy love thing. And even Malcolm was moving a little bit in some of that at the end of his life. And that's, he closes the letter by saying, and I think if we got to spend some more time together personally, and just on this earth in general, we probably would have come closer together than we were when he passed. And it's right. like such a lovely thing. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've brought this up with people online and offline, like at the civil rights movement, there was more than one, just two approaches, but there is two like primary approaches, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, and you could even put those at Northern and Southern expressions with Malcolm and Martin. And right there at one of the most like pinnacle and memorable moments in US history, we had two different approaches to the same problem. And they agreed that it was the same problem. So why do we think, why do we get so one dimensional and wooden and narrow minded right now that there's literally one solution to this problem. And it's it's something like, these identity politics things and whatever else like no there could be an, an innumerable amount of uh possibilities and one might be reinvigorating a common humanity like a, a enemy love and all these things um right. even up to and including especially nonviolence, even when retaliation logically makes sense like there's something to that it totally disarms the narrative and disarms the person perpetuating it because it doesn't make sense it confounds their logic system to right. see that and anyone, even if it doesn't do it to the 
the offender in the moment when you do something like enemy love, anyone watching it who's a, a non-involved observer who is, doesn't have the adrenaline rush of the moment, they can see clearly what's good and what's evil. Like it's, it's pretty, pretty darn clear at that moment. Right. And anyway, right. if we can reinvigorate that online and, and offline. Yeah. And um, I see this as a problem on, on both sides um, uh, of, 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 you know, whether you're conservative or liberal or woke or anti-woke. Um, I, I think that, that we've, we've attached too much of a morality to, to certain um, political and, and social positions. So it's like, um, I believe in this thing and it, I think it's a good thing. And if you're not in favor of this thing, then you must be bad. And it's like, no, we, we, it, there, there are a lot of gray areas there. Um, uh, so, so for example, um, well, well, I, I, I think that, that we especially do this in, in when we get stuck in the weeds, when we start talking about tactics. Um, but, but, but it's like, you know, like, for example, like, um, I tend to be pretty critical of wokeness, but I think that, um, uh, the things that I think, um, make for a good artist community are probably very much in alignment with, with what a woke person would think. So for example, I want, um, uh, an artistic community or, or industry that does not discriminate on race, gender, sexuality, um, that prioritizes skill and talent and originality over, you know, just playing it safe. Um, I want to do away with discriminatory policies. I want to make sure that um, we create an environment where everybody feels like they um, can share their ideas without being um, prosecuted or persecuted in any way. So it's like, these are just sort of like basic things that I think pretty much everybody can, or at least most people can agree on, whether we're, we're woke or anti-woke. Um, but, you know, we, we stumble when it comes to like uh, coming up with solutions on how to get to that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned earlier this idea of like um, tensions, which I think is so helpful. You mentioned like a, a proper, uh, or actually the best groups are the ones that have some of these tensions in place. So at the yeah. political level, it's like a left and right intention is way better than one or the other. I've been in some or only one or only the other, I should say. Right, um, right. I've been in some conversations with um, a cognitive psychologist and a scientist, and, and he was putting it so helpfully that our brain is wired this way, right? That our brain is wired in this sort of what we know and don't know way. It's more complex than that, but in a simple way. And uh, that is opponent processing. That's actually really good. Mm. But it's bad when it turns into adversarial processing. And there's yeah. lots of opponent processes that are in your day-to-day -day life. When you walk, for example, if you're able to walk, you walk left foot, right foot. If you only walk with your left foot, you would have problems. You know what I mean? <laughs> you yeah, could exactly. do it. Yeah, or you yeah. need some sort of assistance to mitigate your right leg not walking. And right. the same thing goes for our brain. And then there are people that sort of manifest at a personality level. Um, there are those who are naturally more conservative or more open to new experiences. And, right. and, and sometimes that ends up cashing out in political ways too with left and right. But there's right. something to people of differences keeping one another in balance. Because if you think of human beings in a primitive sense, if all of us were open to new experiences, we'd all eat the funny new mushroom we just found and we'd all die. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you, need, you need some people to try it though too because you try some new food and all of a sudden you get a hold of meat and now our brain starts growing because it's like, hey, this right. is changing some things, you know? Right. Not just tree dwellers anymore. And there's, there's layers to it where it's like, this is at a scientific level, at an interpersonal level, and even at a creative level of creating something like art, you need that diversity and, and plurality, but also not taking away from meritocracy. And I'll finish my point and then let you sure. kind of riff on this, but sure. proper meritocracy uh, and then proper um, 
tension living between people, it requires both cooperation and competition. Mm, and that yeah. will inevitably create a hierarchy of uh, meritocracy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's inevitable. And, uh, and that's why it's so fascinating when people talk about social creatures, which is what we are, right? We're a social animal. You talk about, if you look at other social animals that aren't, let's say, as advanced as us, whatever. So a wolf, let's say, is a social animal. A chimpanzee is a social animal. When you look at them, you a lot of people assume that the term like an alpha wolf or the alpha chimp or whatever, that that's just the most competitive, baddest, like, you know, like toughest chimp or whatever. Mm -hmm. and it's like, no, not at all. Yeah. That that one is too risky and too violent to the troop and they will get rid of it in two seconds. Like the, they, everyone else, all of the subordinates, they'll get rid of them in two seconds because in even the females, not just the males, they'll get rid of them. Yeah. Too risky, too dangerous. But mm. it's the one who finds the proper and best balance between cooperation and competition, both. Yeah. Because if all they are is cooperative, they never go out and hunt for food. They never test the borders and boundaries and never expand their territory. Like it's just, they don't survive that well. So yeah. you got to find the balance. And sometimes the balance isn't just in the end. The individual should try and find balance within themselves. Right. But also, the individual should recognize that they have some natural tendencies that they can't make up without other people, you know. And, right. Uh, right. and that's where it's like, man, if we can get a vision like that, that not just uh, I accept or, you know, like agree to disagree and like I accept you. It's like, no, I, I literally need you. Like yeah. <laughs> I need yeah. you to be like a more fully human person and I need you to be like a to create better art or work, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and we could get somewhere. That's for sure. Yeah. That, that's a fascinating point because, um, you know, we, we do need people to, to stray from the pack and, and to take risks. Um, but we also need to, to give them um, some, some freedom to do so because, mm. you know, as you talked about the, with the mushrooms thing, it's like, they're probably going to fail. Um, there's a very high chance of, of failure there. And um, so, but, but there also needs to be a balance there. Like we, we do, that you talked about, like we do need people um, to work together and to defend each other. Um, but we also need people to kind of be able to like stray from the pack and be like, okay, well, if you want to take this risk, go for it. Um, yeah, it, it, it actually kind of leads me a little bit to, to, to cancel culture. And, and I don't want to talk too much about it because I, 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 I listened to your, to your, to your talk with uh, Katie Herzog and, and you talk quite a bit about that. Um, but but, but there, there, there was something interesting that it did remind me of um, in, in regards to, li to religion. Um, yeah. we, 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 and it seems that um, cancel culture is kind of like the exact opposite of religion, or, or at least you know, most major religions, which is you know, there's, there's a big um, component of redemption and forgiveness. Um, and it's interesting because you can have someone who spent decades of their life living a bad life, you know, drug and alcohol abuse, living a life of violence. Um, but when they decide, I'm going to give that up and I'm going to try to repair the relationships that I broke and, and try to make it for the bad things that I've done, they're welcomed into the church. And it's like, hey, you know, welcome. And we want to try to help you stay on, this, on, on, on a better path. Mm -hmm. Whereas cancer culture is the exact opposite, which is like you can have a decades long career of not being a jerk, of just being a decent human um, but that one joke is the only, is that one thing that completely invalidates all of, all of those years of you being a good person. Now you're automatically ostracized. Um, so, so, you know, even though I'm, I'm not, I'm not a religious person, but I, I do. And, and I think most people in the entertainment industry probably are not uh, very religious. I think that there's, there's a lot of value to be had there where it's like, look, um, the cool thing about forgiveness and redemption is that it applies to all of us because I see a lot of woke people who are getting ostracized by woke, by other woke people. It's like, you can't be woke enough. Yeah. It's like, I want to create this, this, um, um, a mentality where it's just like, look, you know, and you know, obviously there should be limits. Like if you 
commit a crime, you should be held accountable. Like, I'm not, but, but, but in terms of just like, if you make a movie or a novel or something and it maybe it's considered offensive or it goes a little too far, um, uh, you know, we should be giving more allowances to people to do that because everyone is capable of, of, of uh, uh, failing, of making mistakes. It doesn't matter what your political views are or what your social views are. Um, you can be the most bleeding heart progressive person on the planet and you're still going to say something or do something offensive. Somebody's going to be bothered by what you said. Mm -hmm. So we should be, so, so, you know, when I think that when we try to fight cancel culture, we should, we should, um, I think those of us in sort of the more critical woke side uh, or those who are critical of woke um, should do a better job of, 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 of saying like, look, like, even though I disagree with you, I, I think that you deserve a second chance if the mob ever comes after you. I will yes. gladly be by your side. It doesn't matter what our political or, 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 or other disagreements are. I think that you have the right to, um, to, to share freely. And um, just because, and it's also because I want you to be there by my, by my side if the mob comes after me. And I want all of us to be able to defend each other. Yes, and there's a voluntary acceptance in all of what you're talking about there, Joe, and that, hey, uh, on the one hand, there's a voluntary acceptance. I know I'm going to fail because you failed in part because you are a human and like you're, you're incapable of being 100% perfect and predictable and you yeah. tried some things and you made a mistake. And then uh, the worst versions of what you're talking about with cancel culture, when it's, it's something you said or did 10 to 20 years ago that you have a deep sense of regret for and you maybe even have tried to repair some things or whatever, yeah. you know, you've tried to do some of that work of like restitution or resolve and and then you could still be canceled over, you know what I mean? With, yeah. with all of your good efforts, it's not even like a new joke that you said like on Tuesday and now HR is in there. It's like, oh, this yeah. is like, this could be an old thing. And that's so sad. Uh, anyway, there's, um, when we do this kind of thing, and uh, I, I should add a caveat. I, I think you're right. There's, there's a foundation of forgiveness that the majority of major religions has. There can be nuances and differences, but there's something there. And uh, in the flavor that I'm in with, Christianity there's some, like that's the door in but it's the, it's the way you stay like on the path you forgive yeah. and like the, the guy that we're following uh loved with his last breath and was willing to die for his enemies and it's like and then our theology says you live your life in him like you don't just say ah that was a good teacher at one point I'll try and follow his teachings like we believe in some weird mystical way we're like connected you know right, and right. it's like okay if I'm connected to that guy like that the power and the ability to forgive an enemy is in me. That should yeah. be core to our faith. Right, core. yeah. So uh, I will say though, uh, the church is, especially when it's had political and cultural power, um, mm -hmm. it has not manifested that at all, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, it, right. Or, you know, in, in different iterations, it's had some big, big problems with doing basically its own version of cancel culture. So sure, sure. I will throw that out for sure. But um, I will, I, there's a phenomenal quote. Um, a man named, uh, he's a police chief, a retired police chief from Colorado named Mike Butler, but he started this program around restorative justice. And it's this idea of like, that's a frustration I have with some of this, with cancel culture being wrapped up in something like social justice. It's like, it literally is a perversion. Even that phrase, social justice, it's a good phrase. It's like a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then when your definitions of, of justice are retributive only and nothing restorative involved there then this isn't justice anymore. This is retribution. This is, yeah. this is the same problems, and there are problems that exist with policing being mm -hmm. perpetuated at the level of culture and mob yeah. justice. And that's, yeah, justice is a great thing, especially social ones. We should have restorative versions. And anyway, Mike has this phenomenal quote in 
in talking about this and he summarizes it so shortly. He says, the two greatest human technologies are apology and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. These are the greatest human technologies we have yeah. to make the species better. And right. uh, it's, it's interesting too, when you think about apology is one thing. Um, I, I, I don't want to rank order which one's harder. It's yeah. very hard to apologize, right? Um, especially when there might be a tension of, uh, people do this. I talk about the like, couples with this sometimes when I might be counseling them. It's like, don't put a percentage on your apology. Like, you know, right, it's like, right, right. hey, I was like 10% wrong, but you were 90%. Even if technically <laughs> speaking, you're right. You know, it's like, oh, just, just apologize, you know? Right, and, uh, right. Anyway, um, but anyway, uh, people do it. We all do it. It's like yeah. unavoidable. And anyway, yeah, yeah. but so apology is hard. I'm not trying to take away from it, but forgiveness is the hard thing. Forgiveness is really hard because it requires you to basically say, you don't have to pay me back necessarily. You know? right. um, even though technically speaking, I owe you an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, technically speaking, that's the case. I'm going to forgive you and I'm not going to take your tooth. It's like, that's intense. Like that, yeah. that requires yeah. a sacrifice. And that's the yeah. thing is we're asking, you know, within the religious community, but then we're saying like culture should, there should be some overlap of these values for a common humanity idea yeah, of apology yeah. and forgiveness. And it's like, forgiveness is tough because it, it always requires a person who is wrong to let something go. Right. It's so hard. It's hard to yeah. incentivize it. So I, I, in your opinion, are there ways we can start incentivizing these things, apology and forgiveness? How can we start not just building bridges, but also, because there are, there's a number of people that mean well and are getting wrapped up in bad ideas. How do we bring them back without becoming monsters ourselves you know without just perpetuating the problems that we're critiquing right now um i think one thing is 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 that uh, uh people who, who are very critical of woke of wokeness should um also demonstrate some 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 uh introspectiveness here um or, or uh, introspection and say like you know am i starting to become just like them in a way so for example um i think just the term woke um is kind of a vague buzzword um yeah. and so that's that's one thing that i criticize woke people for doing is, is, is using all these vague buzzwords and it's like whoa, whoa whoa like i criticize them for using vague definitions for words and make and, and how that that contributes to um, a lack of, of good conversations. But those of us on, on the anti-woke side, like we're, we're doing a lot of the same things here. Yeah. Um, we're also doing, there's also a lot of reactionary stuff um, in, in anti-woke circles. So for example, when a movie comes out and it has um, a black leading uh, character, um, there's, all, there's often like a, a reaction of like, oh great, another diversity movie. And it's like, well, hold on, it might not be, like maybe he really was the best person for the role. Like, or maybe there's a good reason, you know, like, like don't jump on, don't be so quick to, to judge this thing um, by its cover. So I think um, one way that, that we can start building bridges is if, if people, you know, to, to kind of borrow from Jordan Peterson again, is if people started to clean their own rooms, which is like, you know, I have a lot of problems with the world, but um, maybe there's some problems in my own belief system, in my, in my own views of the world. And maybe I'm be- becoming just like the people I'm criticizing. Um, so I want to see more, more, more anti-woke people say, well, you know, kind of pump the brakes a little bit and, and, and reach out more. Um, to, to people who, who they disagree with um, and actually try to in, engage more and try to say, look, you know, some kinds of diversity are good, are useful. Um, can we start the conversation on what we agree with? Because maybe there's some fertile ground for, for some actual um, meaningful and, and sustainable change um, yeah. rather, than, rather than just sort of like these quick fixes, whether, you know, it's, it's adding diversity to everything or getting rid of all diversity. It's like, no, 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 we, we should be, be careful about how we apply diversity and inclusion initiatives. Um, 
so yeah, I, I think just just introspection and and being willing to to accept when the other side makes good points. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some like heterodoxy in there, which is interesting too, for sure, because it requires you to. Uh, it, it will inevitably require you to occasionally change your mind. You may have in um, in our like faith community, we talk about how there's like closed fist issues and open handed issues. Right. And so there's a number of things like on theology or doctrine where we'd be like, yeah, we're just not going to say like in my circle, at least like all roads lead to heaven or something. We're just not going to move on that one. Yeah. We're not going to move yeah. on a handful of these things. Like Jesus is the way, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but there's a number of other things that are like very debatable and like hard, they're, they're gray issues and like hard to figure out. And we need to discover that and uh, firm that up through dialogue and conversation, mm. debate. So a way we frame it is there's die for issues, debate for issues, and then decide slash divide for issues, you know? So mm. like, there's a number of things. It's like, I would literally die for that reality or that idea. Yeah. And those are pretty select, you know, but there's, yeah. but that's the thing is like, most of us agree with some of those things, like a, a level of, uh, you know, we should have some laws about being violent against one another. Like not very many people are like, nah, I don't think so. You know, right, right, <laughs> right. Like, everyone's agreeing on that. Okay, good. So we have some die for issues that we'd be like, no, I'd be willing to die. And even uh, it's shifting, unfortunately, but for the longest time, it was like free speech in the, in the U S like I would die for Like People were like, I would die for that. Yeah. That matters, especially for work like you're up to with arts. And so anyway, you get into, but then you get into some debate and decide for issues and, and, What's great is it's not, um, it doesn't have to be me centered because you can, you could understand the debate and decide for as a dialogue in which you begin to discover either more die for issues or um, you begin to understand the elasticity of your group that different types of folks can be included and, uh, right, or right. different voices, whatever that might be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's something to that idea being applied to just in general, interpersonal stuff with culture, like we're talking about. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I will say, Joe, you're um, the industry that you're in and interested in. I, I'm seriously hopeful for it. Um, on the one hand, like, you know, philosophers and, and like the James Lindsay types of this world, they'll have a place. Obviously, he has a huge mm -hmm. platform and voice. Yeah. These sort of thought leaders. And you're in kind of an interesting space because you're a sharp guy, good thinker, you're witty and stuff. But then you are artistic as well. Um, but. I don't know if this is right, but the, the social justice slash critical race theory version of that, its testing ground will be art, honestly. Uh, it, its inability to create art, at least for now, its inability yeah. to create art will make it uh, unpalatable in the long term for people. There will be nothing creative coming out of it. And, uh, anyway, that will be a problem. And I actually think that the, I don't want to call it the rebellion, but the like the resistance to that stuff and the pushback against it, I think can come most clearly through art, through metaphor, through story, through these different avenues. And yeah. that, I have a ton of hope about that. that. Yeah, narrative, metaphor, and story will help people understand. We'll, we'll have like a, you'll, you'll be able to give people an articulation of the beautiful and good life. But um, honestly, um, only art can provide in some respect. Um, whether it's writing, whether it's um, good oration and good speech and metaphor, it's it's going to come there, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And and I do have some some optimism for for the future of art. Um, and 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 I do think that um, you know, even though that we're living in an era that's very hostile to to risk takers and 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 people who are who have daring visions, um, 
I think this is their time to shine. I think mm. this is a good opportunity to really push back and, and, you know, they don't have to be aggressive about it. And it's probably best that they're not, um, that, 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 that their, their forays into taboo territory um, also comes with, with grace in, in the way they, they you know, articulate their ideas and, and, and because argue you can, you can just as well become exactly because you can just as well become a caricature in the other direction, which is what we're saying. We don't want to do. We don't yeah. want to be just a person who says woke every other word and dunks on like, dumb arguments it's like that's a caricature too that's not an right. interesting person it's not yeah. even a person it's an ideology manifesting around in some puppeteered way it's like we want a person that's interesting that causes us to look and like inspect and say what's going on there you know like that's yeah and that's yeah. what good art can do and that is it's fascinating that like uh that resisting this stuff and pushing back against it good arguments will be a big part of it and that's where i'm not taking away from like the James Lindsay types, like sure, sure. it needs, it'll need art as well. It has yeah. to have it in yeah. order to be a viable. And what's interesting, Joe, if you're talking about the risk takers, as this is like uh, maybe too bold to say, but as um, the risk amplifies, it actually magnifies like the good. I don't know if, that, but basically the market isn't saturated anymore with people that are like being taboo and like whatever when all of a sudden it is taboo to be just like, or the the bar for risk is so low, like when yeah. you do that and it's like a rare cat who does it, it amplifies and it yeah. magnifies. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think, um, you know, it's a good opportunity to re to really instill in, in aspiring artists as well as, you know, work, working in veteran artists, um, uh, that sort of bravado that, that's, mm -hmm. that, that has come to characterize some of the greatest works of art. Um, and to accept the responsibility of that, you're going to have to take some slings and arrows um, that people are going to criticize you. Um, and there are going to be times when they make good points against you. And there are also going to be times when they're just, um, you know, shamelessly and needlessly, uh, uh, you know, raking you through the mud. Um, there's a great quote from Albert Camus um, in a speech that he gave um, in 1957. It's called Create Dangerously, the, the Power and Responsibility of the Artist. And the quote was something like, um, but perhaps there is no peace for an artist except the peace found in the heat of battle. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I love that, that, the idea of like, yeah, you know, when, when you're an artist, you're, you're kind of an outlaw. You're, 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 you're a cultural cowboy. You're, you're an aesthetic outlaw and you're, you're, you're going out there and exploring ideas and, and wandering into uncertain territory. Um, there's going to be a lot of risk. There's going to be a lot of failure and um, you're going to take a lot of heat for that. But that's what you do because you're an artist. Um, you explore like those sort of nether regions of, of the, uh, the human condition that a lot of people don't like to talk about in polite company, but you're going to plunge in there. And it's funny because I think that art is, is actually, um, you know, as, as, as much as, as, as I try to encourage artists to be dangerous and risk-taking, I think there's also something very safe about dangerous art because you're exploring a, a taboo subject, but you're doing it in a way that's completely abstract. You're doing it with just images or words or sounds. Like you're not actually doing it yourself. Um, you know, like, um, of course I would discourage any, any artist that, that engages in say, um, you know, rape or animal cruelty. Like, of course these things are, 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 are terrible. But if you want to explore these topics in a novel, for example, you should be allowed to do so and explore topics that people don't like to talk about. But at the same time, if somebody gets disturbed by it, they can put down the book and go back to reality. They can turn off the movie and it's fine. Um, it's funny, I almost think of comedy shows as being kind of a safe space in a way, because that's the place where you're safe to laugh at dangerous topics um, freely. Like you can laugh you know, for two hours or whatever uh, about dark subjects that you normally would feel kind of uncomfortable laughing at, you know, at, in the workplace or at grandma's house. And that's fine. You know, there's, 
it's, it's, it's the feeling of risk and uncertainty, but in a pretty safe and predictable environment. And, and that's, and, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the archetype of the jester or the joker or the, yeah. the clown. Like right. they literally turn the world upside down and they're always, our imagery of them is like, you know, spinning on a ball or flipping things upside down, walking on their hands. Like the, yeah. the reason why that exists is on the one hand, that's what they do. They expose yeah. like the absurdity of the world in some respect, but also they have the permission to criticize the king, you know, yeah, and that's like, exactly. that matters, you know, and if, yeah, yeah. you know, it's culture that they're criticizing, then so be it. Like, yeah. And also they're doing it in an entertaining way. So yes. it's not yeah. like, you know, like uh, I'm starting a movement to, to, to completely change society. It's no, no, like I'm doing it in this one little act. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, Joe, uh, this is good. Uh, I cannot not end a conversation on an Albert Camus quote. So we are going to try and wrap up here because that was too good. I love that yeah. little riff you just had, but I want to make Thank sure you. too. Um, can we, um, is there anything, we talked about different ways you're writing and things you're up to. What, how can we plug what you're up to? How can people follow you? Sure. Obviously Twitter, we'll put all the links for your handles and stuff down below. But. Yep, yep. And so if you go to uh, Medium and you look up The Reckless Muse, um, that's my publication. And um, uh, I'm looking forward to expanding it uh, over the next few weeks, a couple months. Um, perhaps maybe go into starting like a YouTube channel, maybe a podcast at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, and if people uh, want to write for, for the publication, um, there, we have a submissions page on, on the homepage there. So uh, yeah, if anybody's interested, uh, feel free to reach out. What a cool opportunity. Yeah, and I hope you can create a, a diverse community in all the best ways of what diversity means. So of course, of course. that would be good. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for making time, Joe. This was a lot of fun. We should connect up more than just on Twitter. That would be yeah, fun. yeah. Definitely, man. Thanks for having me on and uh, let's do this again sometime. I love it. Thank you. All right. Sure. We'll talk soon. Take care. Later.